At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. <laughs> it is back to school time. As I'm recording this, I actually just dropped my daughter off at her first day of second grade. <sighs> can't believe it. And we know that a lot of you out there are teachers or librarians or therapists or yoga instructors or leaders of parenting groups. It's a new beginning for all of us, right? And if you're looking for a little something to help get to know parents or help your new community get to know each other, we've got just the thing. Weird parenting wins. These are parenting strategies that real parents use, but that you'd never hear from an expert, like all that trial and error stuff. We're actually making a book of these, and we've found that sharing these wins makes for a great icebreaker. So all you people who want to create a fun, inviting atmosphere for parents, try asking your crew, what's your weird parenting win? We even made a PDF for you guys to hand out so that folks can easily submit their great wins directly to us, and they might wind up in our book. Find this PDF at weirdparentingwins.com and click on download the flyer. And thanks. Back before I was a parent, my husband and I were living in Philly and we made a friend. His name was Gregory Warner. He was a reporter for the public radio show Marketplace. Gregory was always up for a hangout or a drink, and he had super entertaining stories about the people he'd met traveling and couch surfing. And then just a few months after we'd met him, he was like, oh, by the way, I'm moving to Afghanistan. Gregory had gotten a gig as a foreign correspondent for NPR, and just as quickly as he'd popped out of our life, he'd pop up again. Once my husband was working at his desk, there was a tap on his shoulder. It was Gregory, back for a quick visit from Kabul. Once I was watching a panel at a conference, I got a text from Gregory, come find me in the lobby. I had thought he was in the Ukraine or something. Then about seven years ago, right after my daughter was born, Gregory popped up again in Philly. We met up at one of our usual pubs. This time, Gregory brought someone with him. His wife, turned out he was married. Her name was Sana. She's a world traveler too immigrated to the U.S. from the Soviet Union with her parents when she was eight. And like Gregory, she also tells global stories for a living. She recently published her first novel, The Patriots. It's this sweeping family saga that stretches from Moscow to Brooklyn. So there we were, sitting in the corner of this bar with Gregory and Sana. My baby was next to me in her little car seat. Yeah, and actually, I didn't tell you this, but I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. I was, like, just a little pregnant at the time. So I was um, uh-huh. peppering you with all kinds of questions about your birth experience. I remember the questions. Right. I remember and a lot became, of questions. There were and I remember questions. that you weren't drinking alcohol. Oh, so And you, I wondered. You figured it out. These two globetrotters were about to have a little globetrotting baby. It wasn't long before Gregory and Sana were whisking their new son, Joseph, off to a whole new continent. Yeah, we moved to Nairobi in November of 2012 because I'd just been given the, the bureau chief position for East Africa for NPR and, and we're there for, for almost four years. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hilary Frank. And today we're going to hear about the adventure of raising your kids in a culture that is not your own. 
and then bringing them back home and trying to Americanize them, a process which Gregory says was much trickier than he and Sana had imagined. Gregory and Sana actually have two kids now. Joseph is six, and Lillian, their two-year-old, was born in Nairobi. They've both spent most of their lives in Kenya. And the way that Gregory and Sana describe it, Nairobi sounds like it was a pretty magical place to raise children. It's an incredibly green city. It's the only city with a, a national preserve in the middle of the city. So just, you can imagine uh, skyscrapers, typical downtown, and then just about four miles away. So within sight of the skyscrapers uh, right there is um, this huge preserve where lions roam free. Mm, giraffes. Literally. So you can bring your kid. I mean, jo- Joseph went on. Yeah, every weekend we would go and he would feed the giraffes or the monkeys. I mean, there's just, I mean, after a while, we really get a little tired of all the animals. That's literally, it's just a lot of wildlife. Yeah. Gregory spent a lot of his time away on reporting trips. It was a busy time for news in East Africa. Kenya was gearing up for its general elections. Tensions were rising in South Sudan in what would later turn into a civil war. Sana mostly stayed behind in Nairobi with Joseph and threw herself into writing her novel. I was with Joe a lot on my own. Um, and, you know, what's great about Kenya is, of course, you can get very affordable childcare. So for the first time, I was able to get a wonderful, wonderful nanny. Well, it's a very family, it's a very family friendly. What do they call it? What do the diplomats call it? I forget. They call it a family posting, right? Uh, the whole city uh, accommodates people with families. So, like, every restaurant has a bouncy castle or at least a playground. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes you walk down the streets of New York with a stroller and you're looked at as the enemy. But definitely in Nairobi, you Well, there's a saying, a, your children are your wealth there, that even if you don't have anything else, the more children you have, the wealthier you are. That It's a different paradigm. Yeah, I mean, and definitely, you know, when I would go and do interviews, uh, people would ask me how many children I had. And, then when, and I was called Papa Joseph. Uh, Papa Joe. Papa Joe. Mama Joe. Because Joseph is my son, and so immediately that that I become Papa Joe. Uh, here I'm just called, hey, Joseph's dad, which is, just <laughs> yeah, doesn't right. have the same ring to it. You know? <laughs> By the kids, right? The kids call right. him that. Kids at like a birthday party be like, Joseph's dad, and you know, it just doesn't flow like Papa Joseph. So, um, Sana, were you, called, were you called Mama Joe? Yeah, yeah. I, I was like surprised to come back to the States, and no one was calling me Mama Joe anymore. Yeah, it's like you lost something. <laughs> Were there any um, parenting customs that you noticed there that you really liked or, or any that were really hard for you to adapt to? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that really struck me is like when Joseph would be having dinner and uh, his, his nanny, uh, whose name is Pamela, she would always say, um, well, can I have a bite? And yeah, she would always say that she would say, um, to like, okay, well, save one piece for me. And I, I always, I kind of bristled against because I thought, wait a second, you have tons of food. Like there's obviously she was free to eat all the food that's right there. Everybody's eating the same food, but I was like, why are you taking it from, from our son's plate? And it's because, um, she's really trying to enforce this idea that you do not the food that you're eating is not just yours. It's also the food of anybody who happens to be there mm. who is hungry. Mm-hmm. So that idea of sharing, I mean, we, of course, focus on sharing here uh, in America. Sharing is caring and all those things. But I, I think it's not nearly on the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, sharing in America happens um, kind of on your terms. Uh, you share what you have to share, whereas if someone asks for something, I think, you know, uh, in Nairobi, you're, you're really more expected to, to, to give it over. I mean, that's, it's, it's much more of a communal, um, uh, approach to property. And so when kids are playing, they, um, they do just walk. I mean, yeah, they walk into each other's houses. They, they walk off with their stuff. You don't necessarily (laughs) say, Oh, can I have that? Can I play with that? You just, 
you take your piece, they take your piece. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not as verbally negotiated as it is here. Right. I mean, the good thing was it wasn't really hard for Joseph. I think he accommodated himself really well to that, uh, a shared property idea. After Lillian came along, Sana experienced something like this, too. When I had my baby girl, I would go shopping with her for groceries. And um, it, it's not that you're not supposed to touch other people's children. It is the custom to touch other people's children. And it, at, at first, uh, it was a little odd because I would buy vegetables and these women would give me my change and would then grab my infant daughter's hand and kiss it. And I was like, oh, you know, when in Rome. Did it make you uncomfortable? Um, I think it made me less uncomfortable uh, because I had I grew up in a culture where um, people um, p- people invade personal space. But you don't even consider it an invasion of personal space. I, I um, because of the Russianness. Uh, I, I was no. I kind of found it refreshing, to be honest. Um, I think that that piece of me is just pre, the, the pre-American piece of me um, found it refreshing. Gregory and Sana enrolled Joseph in a preschool close to their house. About half the kids there were Black. The other half were Kenyan of Indian descent. Joseph was one of only two white kids his first year, and he did notice that he looked different. He pointed out that his mommy was pink and other mommies were brown. As he got older, Gregory and Sana could see the wheels turning as he tried to figure out where he fit in. I mean, I will say that race is understood in a very different way. It obviously doesn't have at all the same history as America or American race relations. Um, even the word Muzungu, which is the, the for white person, it doesn't even mean white. It actually means traveler. So it's just having to. It's just an idea of outsiders versus locals. I think that's much more of the right. the dynamic. Because we had friends who are African American who would also be considered Muzungu, who were right. considered Muzungu there. Yeah. yeah. So so your Americanness is much more important than your color. Did you guys have conversations with him about um whether he was Kenyan or American? Did did he did you get any sense of like how he identified? Yeah, I mean, it was so yeah, it was a big deal for him because um W- w- expat culture means that you have friends and then they leave in two years, you know, when their parents get a different posting. Um, so that idea of you, everybody else is from somewhere else, yeah. and and it's true even for Kenyans, oddly enough, because a lot of um, Kenyans don't say they're from Nairobi. Um, historically, Kenyans would say they're from some other region of Kenya. So, so Nairobi is really this place, for, even for even for Kenyans, where nobody is from. And so, there's a there's a there's a children's series. What is it about that turtle, Franklin? Yeah, Franklin seems to often have uh, friends who leave. <laughs> He's a very anxious turtle. <laughs> and I remember that the otter goes to Sweden, or maybe he doesn't go to Sweden. <laughs> Sweden. I, sorry, I think I made that up. Yeah, because his friend had just gone to Sweden. I think I think I changed the ending to have Otto, Otter go to different places because I was just trying to find some way of explaining that just because your friend is gone doesn't mean you can't write them a letter. Um, at the time, though, I do. Th- I think he, what did he say that was, I mean, he really felt like an outsider. He said, um, well, aren't we from America? So when are we going to America? Um, and so... His Americanness was um, was this, uh, and I didn't really realize this until recently. It was this. Uh, it was this hard to attain. It was like he he had this identity that was American, but he didn't really he didn't really fill that out because he didn't he didn't know that many Americans. Um, he knew his parents were American. He was from this place called Philadelphia, but he didn't remember snow. You know, and snow is a big part of kids' books. Like, I don't realize how often snow happens. And then it, it really bugged him, you know, that he, um, he should be an expert on snow, but he didn't really know snow. I mean, we would look at pictures of New York and, you know, didn't have any... It didn't have any... It was this magical Oz for yeah, him. I think to him. I mean, he was the biggest advocate for us to... Coming, ba- coming back. He really wanted to come back. Was he, he... So he was like... He was like begging to to move back to the States. He was just always pushing it. I mean, he's not, he's not a beggar type. He's more of like a... 
hey, Dad, I think this would be a great idea. (laughs) Joseph lucked out. Around the same time he was turning up the heat on his parents to get back stateside, Sana was wrapping up her novel. She felt ready to move closer to her family. And a project Gregory had been talking about for years finally got the green light. He was going to launch a new podcast for NPR, full of stories from around the world. So last summer, Gregory, Sana, one-year-old Lillian, and five-year-old Joseph began preparing to move back to the United States. He thought it was his, like, he, his doing entirely, mm-hmm. you know. Coming up, Joe gets closer to becoming an American boy. In fact, he gets a little too close. Stay with us. Say advertisement. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. We're back with Gregory and Sana. The two of them were just getting ready to move back to the United States with their two little kids, who have spent their entire conscious lives in Nairobi. Sana and Gregory picked out a house in the Hudson Valley, close enough for Gregory to commute to NPR's New York Bureau. They found a great babysitter for Lillian, and Sana started putting the finishing touches on her novel. And Joseph, he was going full-on American. His first Halloween here, he said, so what do I do on Halloween? You know, he, he was trying to process everything, every all the details, because every kid was talking about what they were going to be. You know, it was a big deal to go sledding. Well, he says things like, I've never made a snowman in my life. My entire <laughs> life. <laughs> and then all five All years. these new experiences, he like, I've never done this in my life. Joe was stoked. But also, he found Americans could be super confusing. We were at my mom's house, and there's this very cute little girl who's a neighbor, um, and they like to play together. And they were playing scooters on the si- uh, on the driveway, and he, w- I think he either wanted a scooter or he wanted to share something with her. And he, she's a little bit older, so he touched her elbow, kind of touched her. And she jumped back like she'd been... Um, She'd been burned by a flame, and she put her arms out to her side, and she said, this is my personal space. And um, and we had, before before that trip, we had gone on a sh- vacation with Greg's parents and um, Joseph's cousin, Elliot, um, to Dominican Republic for a couple of, uh, for a week. Elliot was this American boy, and... Yeah, Elliot is... Oh, a one year older than Joseph. Yeah. So, and I know. think in some ways, um, America was Elliot for him. And um, we were watching this dinosaur movie, The Good Dinosaur, and there was this little line in there, and this, and it, well, I think it's like a dinosaur. It says, "Don't pop my bubble. Don't pop my personal bubble." And Joe looked at Elliot, and he's like, "What's a personal bubble?" And Elliot's like, "You know." A personal bubble. It's your personal bubble. It's your space. And, like, Joseph was looking at him as if he had no idea what he was talking about. Because, like, in in, uh, in, in Nairobi, can you give me a sense of, of what personal space is like? You know, I just remember seeing... Joe ride on the slide with another boy, kind of hugging each other as they rode down the slide. So boys, boys also hold hands much more often in Nairobi than they do in yeah in America. Yeah, and um, 
it's not like they don't respect personal space, I, but, but, but there's not quite that emphasis on it, I think, as there is here. This bubble business, it was a big deal in kindergarten, too. Kindergarten is all about, you know, they have the tables that all the kids sit on the different color tables, and then they have the rug. It's all about the mat, and you have to be able to sit quietly on the mat and listen to the teacher. The mat has, like, A through Z. Every kid has a spot. And every kid has a spot, right? right. And you don't—if you move away from that spot, you're infringing on someone else's letter, <laughs> Um so, you know, Joseph's sitting on the mat and he'll be like, he'll, he'll touch a kid's shoulder or he'll kick a little bit. Like, he has no, like, sense of what his personal space is. And there was another problem. The Nairobi definition of sharing, the kind that Joe was good at, was not going to fly here. Luckily, Sana and Gregory got a heads up. We enrolled him in this after-school program here with this wonderful Irish woman named Mary. And um, she immediately saw some of the cultural readjustment issues because her own kids um, had come from Ireland. And um, so, you know, sharing there means you have something and you give it away. But that's not actually what sharing means in America. It means... Right. It right. means you get it back. Right. Well, <laughs> that's true. So oh, that's, that's lending. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, but, but there's, there's a... Say there's a common pile of toys and someone's there, mm-hmm. then um, it's basically about getting your peace for yourself without pissing off the other person and, fi- mm-hmm. and having the verbal tools to do so. So, you know, um, whereas you would just take it, over there maybe here you would say oh can i play with that and her children who are irish had struggled with the exact same thing they they in their she said that their their definition was you have a bag of chocolates you pass them around and if there's two chocolates left for for you guys you get to have chocolate but that's not what you're thinking about in america she said first you take your two chocolates and then you share the rest with everybody else right and so right, when right, she right. said oh when when a teacher said oh he's struggling with sharing i couldn't believe it because our child was the kind of child who he like, had a bag of something he would give it to the other kids yeah. and then i yeah. realized like oh sharing here means you know getting yours and not pissing off the other person while you're uh-huh. doing it that's what sharing means in america In America, everything's about negotiating for yourself um, and doing it in a socially smooth way. I don't know if it's for (laughs) yourself only, but yourself is a big part of it. So at one point, uh, we had a, the teacher conference, and she said, well, you know, he's, when he's behind in line, he'll, like, poke the other kid's shoulder. And, and, uh, um, and I was, he I have to say, I was, he wiggles, and um, I was a little, like, you know, as a mom, you get a little bit mortified, or you want to defend your child. So then I said, okay, I'm going to do something about this. Was the idea, like, um, like we, we've got to Americanize our son? Yes, Totally. Yes. And and we and I felt like the time the clock was ticking too. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like like not that you have to get everything right in kindergarten, but there was this sense, I think, there's this feeling that if he didn't solve this, I mean, the kids were already saying things about him that he was reporting that I didn't Like what? Like well, and you know, in kindergarten, like the worst thing you can call somebody, I guess, is a bad boy. So he would say, other kids call him a bad boy. So, it, And um, we had come just a week before he started kindergarten. We'd, it was all in a big rush, and we just got off the plane. We kind of settled into this new town, new house, and just shipped him off on the bus. And I felt like we hadn't, we hadn't prepared him, like we hadn't Americanized him enough. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. He, he was... I mean, I don't know. You know, you don't want to say it in this world, but like, basically, kids were thought he's weird. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, he was also enjoying himself <laughs> tremendously. Yeah. Um, but he would come back, and and you know, he would in quiet moments, and when you know we were sitting there, and he would say, um, you know, he didn't want to even talk about Nairobi. Then he was so dead set, I think, on becoming American with us. Right. He, if we even brought up said that word, he would just the word Nairobi. He, yeah, it was like he would leave the room. It's whatever. Like he didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Somehow, Sana and Gregory had not seen this stuff coming, Sana in particular. I mean, I had been an immigrant, right? So as a ch- um, when I, I'd come to the United States when I was eight. So I adjusted fairly quickly, and I'd gone back and forth, and I had family from other cultures. And um, 
So I didn't think much about cultural adjustment or readjustment. I figured, oh, I adjusted, he'll adjust, it'll be fine. Sana was puzzling through all of this with her own mom. Like, what gives? I had a pretty easy time adjusting, right? And Sana's mom was like, actually, it wasn't easy for any of us. She said, well, you know, when I started my first job, there was this colleague that I really liked. We really got along well. Um, Mimi, I think her name was. And at one point in the hallway, she took her hand or she took her by the elbow. And Mimi was like, you can't do that here, Sophia. And um, there were so many examples of how we had been chided um, as, as Russian immigrants. And we didn't know we were doing anything wrong. Unlike Sana and Gregory, Sana's parents had left their country by necessity. People wanted to leave the Soviet Union, and um, in, in, in spite of all the propaganda we got about how horrible America was, people knew. People knew that. Um, and people were warned. You know, it's, they say it's like, it was like a labor colony with better food. So you, you go to America, you, you, work, you, you work yourself to the bone, but you have opportunities and you have freedoms. And um, so you, you had to prepare yourself psychologically. Like, were you willing to do what was necessary. And um, and mm. I think I was just, my parents did were prepared. They were like, yeah, we are. My, my father said I was ready to cross in my underwear with nothing. <laughs> and we basically almost did cross with nothing. I mean, they gave us, I think, $120 a person, $100 a person. But, you know, you have to change yourself. You have to really become a different person. Sana remembered how much the adults around her had struggled to adjust to their new country and how strange it seemed when all of them started making these drastic changes to their personalities. I think there's different kinds of ethos when you're an immigrant. And one is you just decide that you are going to aggressively assimilate. And that was my family's um, sort of conscious decision. And um, that we were going to do whatever necessary to survive and to fit in. And so, um, and, and there were others like us, and so they, I remember the dinner parties where people would drink and they'd say, you know what, I'm glad that people don't just don't show up at my door at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock that night when they have a problem. I'm glad that you have to call your friend before you can invite yourself over because I got a job here. This is America. Everybody works. I got to get up at 7 o'clock to go to my job. So you know what? Call me before. And they were like really kind of congratulating themselves for um, adopting these new standards, all of which are, I think, some version of personal space. Was that a conscious thing that you did? Did you tell yourself, I am going to be a different person now? Not as a kid. I think they told themselves that. Um, I think even my sister, who was 16, did. But as a kid, you just um, you just absorb. You just absorb and you, um, you just, it's not, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't do that. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to fit in very much. Like, what are your memories um, when you came here as a child? <sighs> Yeah, God, I do have memories. You know, Greg, Greg and I were talking about how hard it is for me to talk about that stuff because I've been asked a lot about it um, as just being a writer who also writes about Russia. And for some reason, I have such a hard time talking about because so much of your own life is you um, turning your back on your past so that you can be this new person. Uh, you sort of forget you sort of forget what those transitional periods were like. You know, you, you don't remember like the four months of coming home with tears every single day because then once you become like a regular American child, you like, your memory just seems to edit all that out. Once Sana's mom reminded her, it all came rushing back. The kids at school who bullied her made fun of her clothes. But because Sana was eight, she had even fewer tools than her parents did for figuring out the rules of the game. So. She improvised. You know, when I was um, a second grader in the Soviet Union, I was a really good student. I was a really good girl. I was at the top of my class. And, it, you know, it was very academically rigorous, weirdly enough, even in elementary school. So then I come to this new environment and I don't spell well. I don't speak well. So how am I going to stand out? You know, I'm, uh, I was, to I, and the kids are making fun of me. So the first thing I do is like, I learn a bunch of curse words and I start using them. And then those kids tell the teachers how I'm using curse words and I get in trouble. So now I have this like rebel persona that I have to keep up. And I didn't. What did you learn? I mean, I call this, am I allowed to curse on 
Yeah. yeah, I called this kid an asshole, and I was seeing how everyone was giving the. F- I, I was like watching. I was watching like the kids in the special ed class. Some of them were just like very mature, and they like knew the curses, and they like knew how to use their middle finger. And I was doing that, um, and that did not endear me with my teachers. I was being the bad girl. I'd gone from like if I could, you know, there's like that Chris Rock comedy routine he's like if you can't be the best be the worst like if you if you mm-hmm. you know he's like um so that's what i was doing i was the worst eventually sana says her new bad girl identity came crashing down she got busted when an esl teacher actually came to her house to tell sana's parents that she'd been acting out sana was mortified and straightened out pretty quickly after that but now as she was remembering all of the pain and confusion from that time Sana realized how much she didn't want Joseph to have to go through that. You you talk about like wanting to turn your back on your past. Yeah. But I think in some ways having kids makes it so it just brings all that stuff back. You can't shut the door on it. Oh, absolutely. Um, That's exactly what it feels like having kids. And Joe was already starting to play the class clown at school and decidedly not observing the all-important personal bubble. So then I said, okay, I'm going to do something about this. Uh, so I went home and I thought like, what, like, what kind of, re- like, how can I get him to get this concept? So then the natural thing to do was to go on YouTube. Like I'll, yeah, but, kid loves YouTube. Yeah, he loves, he loves cartoons. And uh, so I went on YouTube and I um, Googled in um, personal space and there were, you know, a ton of thing, a ton of things popped up, and they were really all different. Um, so I just started, maybe a little. That's like how I cram when I need to do something. And so I just like he he got really into these videos. So I just showed him video after video after video. Some of them were these social stories where they said, "Joey is a boy who likes to have fun." That had these mopey piano chords in the background, and. His friends are sad when he touches their shoulder. Keep your hands to yourself? What do you mean? Um, you know, and then, <laughs> um, but then there were these, you know, hipster kind of musical versions. So it was like, my hippo, my hippo. He can't keep his hands to himself. And like, I got a hippo, I got a hippo. And, uh, and Joe loved that one. And then he wanted to watch that one a couple of times. And then he looked at me and he says, but why didn't anyone tell him? What? No one told him. And he wasn't even talking about himself. He was talking about the hippo. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but then do you start feeling like he's talking about me? He's asking why I never told him. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Totally. What, what? And then he, he processed all of these videos. And later that night he said, but mommy, can I touch you? And it broke my heart to have him say that. Like, I was like, of course. Sana promised Joseph that she would always be his cuddle buddy. And by the time she tucked Joe in that night, she figured, nailed it. We've got this personal bubble thing under control. So I thought that that went swimmingly. I thought he really got (laughs) got the concept of... and, um, And he's a very sweet boy. But then the next day, I get this email that's cc'd to like four administrators and email from it came from who from from his gym teacher and his regular teacher and it was cc'd to the school psychologist and it was cc'd to like the principal oh and the, no no the vice principal who's like the disciplinarian he's very intimidating and um it was all it was that joseph out of the blue had punched a kid in the stomach in gym class oh no and he had never had like a, an urge to punch a kid in a, anywhere before I had shown him all these videos all about how you're not supposed to touch other children. So, and then his reaction to it, I said, well, what happened? Like I, I called them and they said, well, I mean, first he said he didn't do it. And then he came back and said, I did it. And I did it on purpose. Oh, <laughs> uh-oh. In a minute, Gregory and Sana are all... Wait, what? Don't go away. (laughs) 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hi, I'm Molly Bloom, the host of Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Ever wonder why the ocean is salty? Or maybe you want to know about the first life on Earth? Join us and the curious kids that power the show as we find fascinating and fun answers to questions like these. Find Brains On wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) We are back with Gregory Warner and his wife, Sana. When we left off, their five-year-old son, Joe, had just punched a kid, which made no sense because... Like the night before, I had shown him like eight of these videos where all about, you know, my hippo can't keep his hands to himself. Um, And it's like he went, took a total 180 and decided to go in the opposite direction. Um, So like, I'm just trying to remember what I was feeling like. You know, you, 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 you really try to, like, do the best, and then it just boomerangs completely. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, your kid's mind is such a black box. Yeah, we tried to talk to him about it, to, I mean, m- multiple times to figure out what, what was going on there. But he, keep, he kept his thoughts to himself. Like, <laughs> the, hippo. <laughs> the hippo did not. Um, the problem with YouTube is there's always another video on cue it's it's like waiting there and it's so tempting to touch and so you showed him one hippo video and of course then youtube is like oh you want personal space videos we have six other cartoons and so he kept saying well can i watch another video it is educational yeah he says it's educational and so you said well i guess that is the program i guess we can learn even more okay now this mouse is clinging to me Now an octopus is clinging to me. You know, when you hear it once, it sounds like nice, and it's about respect, and it's about um, playing well with others. But But I didn't like it. I don't want to be ten personal space videos. If you do not, they may get upset and yell. All telling you. You will then feel sad. That you're going to have no friends, and you're not going to be liked if you somehow let your hands stray in the wrong direction. It's best to keep your hands to yourself. Keep your hands to yourself. He OD'd. Well, I guess I can imagine why he just said, you know, I don't... I'm, Screw I don't, this! <laughs> I don't buy this at all. Oh, God, I feel... I, I, I really regret doing it now. I, I could see how that would be really intense for a small child who's, who's living through this and going through this transition. Sana and Gregory decided they didn't want to freak Joseph out again with an overreaction to the punching that came from their overreaction video binge. They figured they'd take a step back for a bit, calm things down. They enrolled him in a Rye language class called Dramatic Pragmatics to help him bulk up his verbal negotiation skills And it actually helped a lot. Joe's gotten much better at intuiting what people want from him in social situations. And ta-da, he has not punched a kid since. 
You know, I wonder how much of this stuff, um, like the personal space thing with really young kids, do you ever wonder like how much of it is cultural and how much of it is just his personality? Because like, I got to say, like hearing you guys talk about this, I think about my own daughter. She's um, just about seven years old. And like for years, I've seen her take swim classes where the kids all sit on the side of the pool and the kids are all like equidistant apart, except for my kid who is pushed right up against the kid that she's next to. She's right (laughs) in that kid's face. (laughs) And that does not come from me. And it doesn't come from my husband. (laughs) And like, do you think that this is just a Joseph thing? Yes. Partly. Um, we I talked think, about, we've, we've talked about it a lot, how much of it is his personality and how much of it is the context. And I definitely think that, that, that this cultural transition that we have tried to help Joseph through would not be, would not be difficult for other five-year-olds. I mean, what, what's kind of beautiful, I think, about the world we live in today is that in in a certain instance, I mean, I know stories of people who have moved to a different country and then discovered that that set of cultural rules sort of fit them better. And the good thing is, with some people, like, I think that we are, you know, more mobile than ever. Um, and uh, the good thing is you can change. Hearing Gregory say this, it kind of struck me. Because regardless of whether this kindergarten culture clash had more to do with Kenya or just with their kid's personality, it seems to have gotten Gregory and Sana thinking some bigger thoughts about who they are in the world and who their kids will be. Gregory, you've spent a lot of time reporting in other countries. Has part of your being a foreign correspondent been trying to find a culture that fits you better? I mean... I, I'm in general more comfortable in places where it don't, where it doesn't fit me. Actually, I mean, I think that I, I like being at odds with my environment. Um, I think one of the things that gives me pleasure in the world is, uh, so so when we were in Nairobi, we enrolled Joseph in a swimming class, and he was spending a lot of time by the side of the pool shivering because he had gotten out of the pool with all the kids, but the teacher was sort of late to getting to him with the towel and drying him off and, and then changing him. I mean, he was, he was basically like three or four at this time, probably four. Um, and so, so, so then we found out, uh, basically that what you're supposed to do is bribe the swimming instructors. Um, I mean, you're supposed to give them a, a kind of tip at the beginning of each season and so if you've given the tip, then your kid will be addressed first and be dried first. But if if you haven't, then you won't. And um, I didn't really have any problem with the tip. It was like $10 and it seemed like just an extra fee. But I just, like not being told, oh, by the way, there's this thing you have to do. Because they order- would never tell you. And then when we, to- when we told some expats about it, they were outraged because this, this was such injustice. Um, but... Our reaction was like, um, Greg? Yeah, to me, uh, I feel like I've learned something in the world that maybe is not useful information (laughs) in any other context. But I I like understanding, oh, okay, in this situation, nobody's going to tell you that this is like a hidden cost that you then have to pay. Because I feel like it helps me understand just how to get by a lot of things in the world. And I can think of lots of examples, like the fact, just we were talking about Russia, I mean, the fact that like a police baton is called a democratizer. You know, it, it tells you what, what democracy, what that word democracy means in Moscow and how it's seen. Yeah, they'll democratically beat the shit out of all of you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something that really drew me to Greg, actually. The f- that, I mean, I think it's because I've seen uh, look, I grew up in Georgia. It wasn't even Russia. It was a place with multiple cultures. There were um, Georgians, Armenians, Azerbaijani, uh, Russians, Jews. Um, so it was like Babylon. We would have um, on the stairwells of these 
bombed out looking uh, apartment complexes that we lived in. We would have kids throwing plays um, in multiple languages, right? So, the, so, um, and, and, and this was all happening under the umbrella of a very rigid Soviet system. But beneath that, there was this riot of multiple cultures. Um, I think I was very lucky to have grown up in such an environment. So I, I always felt like when people were really sure of how, how it should be, it, a, a part of me always rebelled. And Gregory, in, on one hand, he's very American. And on the other hand, um, there's nothing essential in him that has to defend one way of being in the world. And um, it's a kind of openness that I really appreciate. It, it feels like it's it's not a question of being a patriot or not or feeling at home in America or not. It's just it's just noticing that that what people expect of you, it's not the only way um, that things go. Um, I, I think that's a I think that's a really nice thing in the world. I mean, so so do you think? Are, are you it, hoping that this um, this thing that like Joseph's having to figure out um, like social code? Um, of kindergartners. And do you think that's doing the same thing for him? Do you, do you think that's making him sort of more well, sensitive to having to figure out how the world works? That's such a good question. Because, I really hope so. I mean, the irony is that we had gone abroad because we're so interested in these questions and, you know, hacking these unspoken rules of these other places. And then we come back and we're like strangers to the unspoken rules of our own culture and especially the culture of American childhood and American parenthood. And that's the crux of it, right? How do you teach your kid to feel comfortable all over the world while still giving them a sense of home? You know, I've talked to other expat parents that came back to America and I got a really good piece of advice um, from, from a mom who said, you know, when you move your child from one country to another country, and especially if that one country, they had no uh, family, there was no reason in terms of their life to be there other than your job. And this is, you know, many journalists I know have this issue. Um, She said, you know, it's up to you to tell them the story of their life that connects the two pieces and um, so it doesn't feel like just a like a hole in their own life. I mean, you know, when we first came back, and he was such an advocate for um, becoming American. He loves the American flag, by the way. Joseph is a huge um, expert, and yes, he is a patriot, <laughs> definitely. And he's um, interested in every star and every stripe, and he likes when an American flag is in the room. He's a big, big fan of the flag. But more recently, he's um, he's he's been able to talk about Nairobi. And uh, he even said uh, the other day, he said, when I have a mommy, because he says, he doesn't say the word wife, he just says, when I have a mommy, um, he's like, when I have a mommy of my own, and uh, we're going to have two kids, and we're going to live in a country where they don't speak English. And um, hmm. I said, so what country is that? And he's like, I don't know. You know, he almost just said, whatever country, it just it, they don't speak English. You know, for me, I felt so good when he said that because I felt like Nairobi was just going to be this thing that he, um, like a part of his life that he never really wanted to return to. Mm-hmm. And a kind of, uh, like a lack, like he... Like Nairobi was just this gap where he didn't get to do Halloween and snow and, you know, go to preschool where they do focus on play. Um, But now, I mean, I think I can see a future where he feels like kind of cool because Nairobi is different and he has this different history and uh, maybe it'll affect the choices he makes. Do you think you guys are going to stay here? You know, I'm, I'm so nervous to answer that question because if my mom's listening. <laughs> Same with my mom. I mean, we love our families. We really want to be close to them. Um, but there is something really wonderful about we'll see what, being you know, on the other side of the looking glass. We'll see what the next, uh, the next thing offers, right? Right. Gregory Warner's new podcast is called Rough Translation. It tells surprising stories from around the globe. And you guys, it is so, so good. 
Their latest episode is actually right up our alley. It's a story about a Chinese mom and the American woman who's carrying her baby as a surrogate. So I'll feel a buzz on my phone and it will have her picture. Like this one is a red panda dancing between two eights. The two eights signify bye-bye. And then I sent the little red panda dancing between two eights. So that's how you communicate with the woman whose baby you're having. Most of the time, yeah. Both women have some unspoken expectations of each other. And, well, things get interesting. We will link to that and to Sana's novel, The Patriots, on our website, longestshortesttime.com. And while you are there... We want to hear about your cross-cultural parenting stories. What are the ways that you are opening your kid up to the world? Or how are you trying to keep them grounded in their home culture while they're living abroad? Let us know in the comments for this episode. That's episode 137. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, with Kristen Clark and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our technical director is the Reverend John Delore. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov and directed by Allison Leighton Brown. We also use music this week from Chris Zabriskie. We get editorial support from Amory Baldonado, Antonia Akatunde, and Reka Murthy. We'll be back on October 11th with a brand new season of shows. But check our feed next week. To hold you over, we have a surprise for you from our friends at The Sporkful. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever you like. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are looking for your stories and especially your weird parenting wins. Remember, you can download that PDF we made. It's a fun way to spread the word and to connect with other parents. And you know, keep pitching us. You might wind up on our show. Go to longestshortesttime.com and click participate. is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.